Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, there's nothing wrong with stock buybacks. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With these IPI Policy Basics podcast episodes, we are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy, or for those who may need to just get up to speed on a particular issue. Today, I'm joined again, as usual, in the studio by IPI resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, we're going to talk about this issue of stock buybacks. What are they? What purpose do they serve? And are they bad? And the reason for the last question is that there are so many ways right now in public policy where politicians of the Democrat persuasion Mm -hmm. um, continue to target stock buybacks as a bad thing. Now, we are recording this podcast uh, in March of 2023, and as of last year, there is a 1% federal tax on stock buybacks. There's never been a tax on stock buybacks buybacks before. Uh, Democrats ran this through. Uh, as a reflection of their overall dismal and negative view of stock buybacks. So let's talk about what stock buybacks are, uh, the purpose that they serve in the economy, and then why it's a mistake to see them as some something that needs to be discouraged or punished. And, you know, if we were stopping with the 1% tax on stock buybacks, that's it's not a good tax, but it's a fairly low one. But mm-hmm. it's only serving as, an, as a foot in the door. Biden now in his budget proposal wants to go to 4%. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we if that were to get right. implemented, if we wouldn't see 5% or 10% at some point in the near future, because increasing taxes is, frankly, what progressives and Democrats right. do these days. That's right. Um, but th- that's completely correct. But, but there's even more to it than that, because from a regulatory standpoint, uh, Democratic administrations keep coming at stock buybacks, mm-hmm. again, as if it's something negative. So, for instance, we just passed... The CHIPS Act, and the purpose of the CHIPS Act, I mean, whether you supported it or not, the purpose of the CHIPS Act was to make federal funding available for the domestic production of semiconductors, computer chips. Right. Okay, so that's what the law says. But then when the Treasury Department issues the regulations that implement the law, it turns out, for instance, for a company to qualify for funding under the CHIPS Act, they must forego stock buybacks for at least five years. Mm Mm-hmm. And then if you go back a few years ago, um, you had, during the Trump administration, the tax reform, and this was during the Trump administration, you had repatriation, which allowed U.S. companies to essentially repatriate some of their profits that were stranded overseas. Mm -hmm. The reason they were stranded overseas was because of the high tax that that the U.S. places on that money when it comes home. But one of the restrictions that Democrats wanted to do is they wanted to say that money can't be used for stock buybacks. So we, we keep finding stock buybacks being treated not just from a tax standpoint, but also from a regulatory standpoint as this bad thing that should be discouraged. So today we want to answer the musical question, are stock buybacks a bad thing and should they be discouraged? But we don't want to take anything for granted. So let's really start at a very low level. Let's just talk about what the purpose of company stock is, right? So when a company issues stock, they do it in order to raise capital. They're trying to they're trying to raise cash so that they can grow the business, expand the business, uh, 
they need cash and there's two sources. If you're, if you're a business, if you're a corporation, there's two sources of money. There's either borrowing the money from the debt markets mm-hmm. or there's raising money through the, through the issuing of stock and bringing on new investors. Um, and so that's why companies issue stock in the first place so that they you get the cash to use it to grow the business. Um, when a party buys a stock, when, when you or I as an individual or a pension fund or something, when you buy stock, you become a shareholder in the company. You, you, in theory, you own a piece of the company. You own a tiny little piece of the company. You absolutely do. You are partial owners uh, in, a, in a real sense, maybe not a particularly meaningful sense in the sense of, of control, but you are a partial owner of the company. And you get proxy rights. You can vote on board That's of exactly directors right. and other things. That's exactly right. Now, when, when most people think about buying stock, they think that you, you buy it, you hope you're buying it low, and then your plan is to that it will grow in value and that at some point you will sell it, and that's when you will reap your profits, mm-hmm. is when you your stock is appreciated and you sell it. Uh, and I, I imagine that's probably what 90% of people think of buying stock and holding stock as being for. But some companies share their profits with their shareholders on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, paying dividends, for instance. Right. There are some stocks that that pay dividends. And so for every share of stock that you own, you get X dividend. It might be 50 cents a share. It might be $1.50 a share, something like that. And there are groups out there, especially for seniors who use this for income, who identify those companies that pay dividends, especially those that pay large dividends, because those become more attractive to people who are trying to live on a fixed income. That's exactly right. The, the, the sort of... This, the, this is going to be a gross over, oversimplification, but investors think of companies in, in a couple different ways. They think of companies either being like growth companies or they think of companies being dividend-paying companies, right? So the idea is if a company is still aggressively growing, uh, they're, they're, there's untapped market potential, and so they're, they're trying to grow, those companies generally don't pay dividends because they are plowing as much of their profits as possible back into the business for mm-hmm. growth, Okay. Uh, whereas a, a dividend-paying company is typically a large, is typically a mature company, um, and there's a sense in which they, they don't have a whole lot better to do with their profits than to simply return them to shareholders. Right. And so, if you own that stock, that stock might not appreciate the value. Of that stock might not appreciate all that much. But on the other hand, you get regular income from it in the form of dividends. So this is so companies have to decide how to how to how to disperse their Profits, their capital, in in one of several ways, right? And it's a fairly limited group. It is a limited group. That's right. There's only so many things you can do, right? right? So you can you can return value to your shareholders. You can continue to invest in the growth of your company, and that could be by acquiring another company. Mm-hmm. That could be by investing in more plant and equipment. That could be hiring more workers. Mm-hmm. But that's about all you can do with the profits is distribute them to shareholders or invest them back in the company. Um, so while companies have a they have a portfolio of ways that they can distribute their capital, uh, there's not that many options. Um, and so when you have a company that is paying dividends, and a typical example, of this is like a, like an electric utility or something, right? Electric utilities, you ju- you generally don't see electric utilities gobbling up other other electrical utilities. You don't see them getting into other businesses and things like that. It's a mature business. It's not a particularly exciting business. It makes a profit, and then it distributes most of its profits to shareholders. Now, we should make an important point here that if you're the employee of one of these companies, um, these companies also often share their profits with their employees. I mean, some companies have profit-sharing plans. Mm -hmm. 
pension matching contributions. And of course, you know, for a lot of companies, the employees own stock in the company. So they also receive the dividends as well, if there's dividends. So the, the context here is how do companies either invest money to grow the business or return the value to their shareholders? And the main way that they do that is through the paying of dividends. But stock buybacks are also another way where companies distribute their profits to shareholders. It's a fairly radical way. But what if, if a company just can't think of anything better to do with, with, their, with their money, with their capital, if, if they don't see enough investment opportunities, if they don't see the opportunities to increase the productivity of their employees by paying more, giving raises, paying bonuses or whatever, uh, then sometimes companies will just say the best way for us to share our profits with our shareholders is to literally buy back the stock. Mm-hmm. So that is how – that is the the sort of rational, proper way to view stock buybacks. Stock buybacks are simply a way that companies distribute their profits to shareholders. They they offer to buy the stock back at a price that is slightly to, to significantly higher than the current market price. And and let's just – because of the time we are – the time we're in right now, there's concern that we may have a recession somewhere in the near future. Mm. If you're a company and you say, we've got excess cash sitting in the bank, you may not think we, – we may, we may not want to, as a company, grow the company or end up expanding our production because we may find out that consumption is – declining in the near future if indeed we hit a recession. Yes. So that may be, as a company, we may just think it's, we may have money, we may actually like it, we may want to be able to grow the company, but we're concerned because there may be a recession coming mm-hmm. and you don't want to be stuck having expanded your company, investing in more uh, plant growth or inventory or other things and find out now you're just sitting on that with no market for it. Yeah, that's correct. And there's, there's another there's another factor here that, you know, when I say it, it's going to sound nefarious, but it's really not. Uh, stock buybacks are also a way to shift the tax burden from the company onto the shareholders. Mm-hmm. Because you know, if you're a company and you're just sitting on money like that, you're, you're paying taxes on it. Mm-hmm. And so by going ahead and buying back the stock from the shareholders, essentially now the shareholder is experiencing the tax liability of those profits, not the company anymore. So there's lots of good and non-nefarious reasons why companies would do stock buybacks. They only do it if they don't have a better use for the money. Now, I do think we should point out, uh, you know, I used the word portfolio a bit ago. Uh, we don't want to be too oversimplistic. Odds are that companies that are doing stock buybacks are also doing all of the above, right? <laughs> Odds are they are also, they're, they're doing a stock buyback, but they're also investing in the well, future growth of the company. We're in a place right now where a lot of large companies, especially tech companies, are laying off people, mm-hmm. but also their stock has taken a big hit. And so you might very well say this is a good time if we're go- if we've got money and the stock is low, it may be a good time to step in and buy that stock. Yes, exactly. So to sort of sum up to sort of sum up this idea of just what a buyback is, uh, it's a way of distributing profits to shareholders. So it's good for the company and it's good for the shareholders. Um, it no one is hurt by stock buybacks. It doesn't, as, as you and I have discussed privately before the podcast, it does not increase the value of the company, right? Because the number, the amount of stock in circulation. <laughs> goes down, the price of the stock goes up, but it, it, it's a net-net kind of a thing. So they're not manipulating the market, you know, to increase the value of the company or anything like that. And in fact, if you're looking at a downturn in the economy, you may be buying stock uh, because that's what you have money, excess money in the right. company, but you may actually be seeing the value of the stock go down just because it's going down with the market. 
not necessarily what we're doing in terms of buying it. That's right. Now, as as I'm thinking, as I was thinking through this earlier today, uh, you know, I can't help but chuckle a little bit at this idea that companies can't find anything better to do with their money than to buy back their own stock. You know, it makes you think, okay, so maybe management's not being as quite as creative and imaginative as we would like them to be, but they're in a better position to know that than I am as an outsider sitting on the sidelines. And it may be that the company has just gone through an unusual period of growth and has an unusual amount of cash on hand that it knows is not going to continue into the future. So they've almost got a problem in that we have like we have a, a momentary unusual amount of cash on hand. What is the best way to deal with this? And you know, you're 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 not making a whole lot of money by putting that that cash into money market funds or something like that, you know. So it may be that the most profitable thing that a company can do is lower its tax burden, return value to the shareholders, and essentially solve that problem. Now, nothing we have discussed thus far about buybacks suggests that there's anything bad or nefarious about them. Mm-hmm. It's just like a normal, natural thing that companies would choose to do. And, you know, shareholders are not forced to sell their stock. When a company's doing a, a stock buyback, nobody's forced, nobody puts a gun to the head to the shareholders to sell the stock. The company is simply offering an above market price, which, you know, a lot of shareholders are going to take advantage of, but they don't have to. It's not mandatory. So that raises this question is why is it the Democrats have decided that stock buybacks are bad? And they clearly have. They've clearly decided Yo, yeah, that stock buybacks are a bad thing. This is a real target. For yes, them. absolutely. And we, we see Democrat policies that are clearly intended to discourage stock buybacks. Like mm-hmm. we talked about the CHIPS Act, right? If you want to take this, we're going to dangle this federal money in front of you. But if you take it, you have to agree to not do stock buybacks for five years. So we see policies that are, is, that are designed to discourage stock buybacks. We see policies that are designed to punish stock buybacks, like the uh, new taxes mm-hmm. on buybacks. And we even have seen policies that were, that were designed to even ban stock buybacks. So the Democrats have really decided the stock buybacks are a bad thing. And it's kind of a puzzle as to why they think this uh, until you start remembering that part of the divide in politics is the humble approach that assumes that people know themselves how best to use their money and the arrogant approach that the government knows how best to use your money. And I think what we've got here with the Democrat demonization of stock buybacks is a clear example that Democrats think that they know better than companies how the company's money should be deployed. Mm -hmm. They think they know better. They think that companies, for some bizarre reason, are going to deploy their capital in the worst possible way rather than the best possible way. And and in the worst possible way, the Democrats mean enriching the CEOs and management there. Yeah, and and shareholders, even enriching shareholders. Um, And so when you start looking at the details of a lot of these Democrat policies, one thing becomes really clear is they think if a company is doing a stock buyback, they're doing that instead of giving the workers a raise, instead of paying higher salaries, instead of paying higher hourly wages or annual salaries, instead of giving them better benefits, instead of giving them free childcare, instead of giving them six weeks vacation, instead of three weeks vacation. Uh, that's what Democrats think companies are doing or not doing when they do a stock buyback. Uh, and so we had uh, a piece that was actually written this week. This would be um, the week of March 9th. 2023. 
one of our tax bites by David Henderson, economist David Henderson, and he goes through this actual logic, and he argues very clearly in that piece that if companies thought that doing any of those other things with the money was the best use of the money, that's what they would do. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense to a company if if there were ways that they could make their labor force more productive by giving them more skills training or by paying them more or by giving them bonuses or other kinds of incentives or better health care. If the company thought that they could make their labor force more productive, that would be the most logical use of the money. Or if a company thought that going out and making an acquisition or uh, building a new building or buying new equipment, if they thought that that was the best use of the money, that's what they would do. So the fact that the company has, has decided to do a stock buyback shows that the people who actually know the situation the best have concluded that they don't have any better use for the money. And so from an efficiency of the economy standpoint, you want capital be, to, to be deployed in the way that is the most efficient mm-hmm. and the most effective. And if a stock buyback is more efficient and more effective than any other use of the money, then that is, in fact, what the company should do. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But I think we, we, ha- we have no real option here but to come back to the idea that it really does come down to the fact, and, and I, I, I should probably say progressives rather than Democrats, but you know those two bubbles on that Venn diagram really overlap quite a bit these days. Yes. Um, but progressive Democrats really do think that they know better how decisions like this should be made. They think, they think, that, they think that they can run the company better than the people who run the company. They think that they can make better capital allocation decisions than the people who run the company. And they think that their priorities should trump the priorities of the company. And so, you know, if a, if a 20 hour, $20 minimum wage is a Democrat priority, then they think the company ought to be guaranteeing a $20 minimum wage instead of doing a stock buyback. Even, if the, even though if the company has looked at that, I mean, if they thought a $20 minimum wage would actually make the company more profitable because the workers were more productive, they would do it. Mm-hmm. And, so, and we know that some have. Some have done those sorts of things. And we've, we've had a lot of companies increase the wages they're willing to pay uh, people because they need that to, keep, to either attract or keep good people right. in a time of inflation. Yep. So I think the big the, the the way to view this Democrat demonization of stock buybacks is just in the overall theme, frankly, of people in government always thinking that the more control they have over the economy, the better the results will be. The more control they have over business decisions, corporate decisions, the better outcomes that we will have. And the irony here is it's almost always worse outcomes. That's when the exactly right. That's exactly right. And again, to go back to Hayek's knowledge problem, uh, running a, the, the details of running a company, much less an entire economy, are highly, highly complex. Uh, it's mind-bogglingly complex. And so the idea that a room, full of ex, a room full of government experts or government bureaucrats sitting around a table can, better, can make better decisions than the people who are actually on the ground running the company walk you know walking every two hours through the plant to make sure that everything's right uh the salesmen who are out on the street hearing input from the customers uh the salespeople at the retail store who can see whether product which products are selling which products are not selling uh, those are the people who are in a better position to make those decisions not bureaucrats sitting around a table in washington dc but this stock buyback issue is just yet another iteration it's just yet another example of the constant insistence 
by big government types that they know better than you do how to manage your money, how to deploy your capital. And if you really want to get right down to it, there is an economic system that thinks that the government should be in charge of the means of production, not the owners of capital. I mean, the basic definition of capitalism is that the owner of the capital gets to choose how it's deployed. And the basic idea of communism is that you can't trust the owner of the capital to deploy his capital in the way that's best for society. So you need government to come along and you need government to, to control how that capitalist money is managed for the, for the better outcomes of all. And so when we see these examples, like the Democrats trying to ban or discourage or punish stock buybacks, that is simply a creeping form of the government trying to control an ever greater share of the means of production. And that's why government regulation, discouragement, punishment of stock buybacks should be resisted by anyone who claims to believe in free markets and limited government. Well, you can find more about limited government and economic policy at our website at IPI.org. Yes, we got in on the internet early enough to have one of those short and sweet URLs, three-letter IPI.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. And of course, you can easily share them with your friends who you think would also be interested. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.